Guasó, bro. Ay. <risa> There's not a rule that you have to use the two subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast presented by Macy Sports and we're back for episode 113. Good times continue to roll on for the Vancouver Whitecaps, Canada men's national team looking to create a few good times of their own. We're going to dive into all that on, on today's show, but uh, I'm your co-host Alexander Gongorizic, joined as always by Sammy Ronan. Before we, we, we dive into it, how's it going this week uh, over on the pond, <laughs> other side of the pond? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going well, it's going well. Uh, still, you know, reveling a little bit in that Vancouver Whitecaps victory and the, the Brian White show as it was, but also very excited for uh, Canada men's national team matches upcoming. I mean, it's only been a month off, but it, it feels like it's been too long, right? Uh, it was, it was super, super fun last month to get involved in that and, you know, a couple massive matches coming up for for Canada. Still a lot of heavy lifting and, you know, no bigger task than facing Mexico right off the bat. So, uh, yeah, excited. You know, things are things are getting to the business end of the schedule in, in both regards. So really looking forward to diving into that on the show. Well, I was going to say it felt just like yesterday when Canada beat El Salvador. So it was like... It was last week, even though it was already almost a month ago since they, they took them on at BMO Field. So I think while it feels like it was so long ago, it also feels like it's just yesterday. And that's the exciting part of these windows. These games are coming fast and thick. Once these October games are done, you got November games. And then usually in most years, you'd have to wait till March. But you got a triple window in January and then another window in March. Uh, there's a lot of games coming fast and thick for Canada. And they, this is this is a big one. Speaking, the more points you pick up early, they've got a nasty backloaded schedule. If you want to make a World Cup, this is the time where you, you really make ground and 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 put some distance between your yourselves and then the the and the teams around you. So I mean, we'll we'll dive into the Canada chat first, since obviously it's it's what's coming up here. It's what's uh, it's, it's going on. So if you want to do you want to hear the Whitecaps chat? Which to be fair for. For once, the Whitecaps are a fun team to, to talk about right now. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go for that in part two of, of this show. But to, to kick off, I mean, yeah, we've said it uh, multiple times, but a big three games for Canada, away to Mexico, away to Jamaica, home to Panama. Just before we dive into the squad and, and, what, and whatnot, how are we feeling, say, ahead of this game? What is your, your – your, right now – a week, a week from now, exactly, you'll have known what will will have happened in these three games, or I guess in a, in eight days from now, sort of recording on the Wednesday before the first game. But heading into it, Sam, what are your feelings, expectations for this Canadian team in a window like this? Is it reasonable to think they can go out and do some damage, or are they going to be in tough? I guess if I'm going to try to be contemplative about it, the the first the matchup against Mexico, in Mexico, while while it might feel like the most important, I think is very obviously the least important of these matchups. You know, you you obviously you want to go into Mexico and get a result if you can, but you're 
you can very much be the the swashbuckling underdog team. You just you know you go in there, you you grit your teeth and you try to get a result. But it, but if you can't, that's not uh, any reason to push the the panic button. Whereas I think against you know even though yes it's in Jamaica, Jamaica's been spotty. They're they're the roster's not at full strength. I think you're catching them in a, in a moment where you can potentially take advantage. Even though that's on the road, that seems like a big opportunity for three points. And then Panama's been very good so far. Um, they've been very good defensively, but I think at home at BMO Field, uh, Canada's already kind of had a, a bit of a frustrating home performance that they'd, they'd probably rather just you know forget about and move on from. I really think those last two matches and, you know, trying to secure six points out of those two matches has to be the, the focus of this window. And you just, uh, you know, Mexico, Mexico is obviously emotionally, I think, given what happened at the, at the gold cup and, you know, just the, the, the feelings that are still there, uh, it might feel very important. And, and obviously you have to, you have to treat all of these matches as such, but, uh, I think there's an interesting dichotomy at play there where the one that feels the most important might, when you look back at this at the end of the window, you know, might kind of, the perspectives will be a little bit different, if that makes sense. Well, for me, the most important game is 100% hands down Jamaica away, actually. Because yeah. in this octo, you need to win all your home games. Uh, mm-hmm. As soon as you drop a, a point at home, you need to recoup it elsewhere. Can't obviously drop two at home in their first game to Honduras. They recouped one against the U.S., you know, should, should they should they somehow go into the Aztec and pick up a draw? They would technically have recouped their lost hundred points. But then, you, even if that happens, you still want to go in and get you, you three need points more. in Jamaica. You, yeah, you need more because Jamaica, honestly, right now this might be the easiest away game that they'll play. Not you know, as hard as it is to say about playing a Jamaica team who is loaded with high talented players. Well, they're going to be missing a lot of these high talented players. No Michael Antonio, it sounds like, with travel uh, issues or some sort of uh, restriction. Didn't seem like an injury, but uh, I could double-check on, on that one. No Leon Bailey, that for sure is an injury. That's a huge blow because the thing about Michael Antonio, a lot of quality there, one of the better strikers in the Premier League the last five years. He hasn't even really played in CONCACAF. Leon Bailey has, so that's another big blow. Sounds like no Ethan Pinnock either. Their their center back from Brantford, who's been having quite the season for for himself and his his little club over there in, in England, scoring against Liverpool recently. Actually, not often you see a, a center back from from Jamaica do that. Uh, pretty 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 cool there. So Jamaica's missing some of their big three players. Uh, they they have issues with their coach right now. They're in a poor run of form. They lost some. Just they lost to Panama at home last window, so it shows that they're beatable uh, in these games. If you're looking at away games for Canada, this is the one that you want to win. Last window against the U.S., you wanted to win, but it's the U.S. They're a good team, whereas, you know, you look ahead to January and March where all your away games uh, are going to be, you know, obviously Mexico away, you pray for a point. If you somehow get three, you, you, you run and you don't ask any questions whatsoever. Honduras away and El Salvador away in the same window in January, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Uh, you know, last window, Costa Rica and Panama away in the same window, that's also going to be tough. So this is this Jamaica game is a game where you're still early in the cycle. You're still fresh. Uh, you're playing a Jamaica team that in three months, they, if they figure everything out, they could be so, so much more dangerous than they currently are. I'm targeting that game as a three points where if you get three points there, you win at home at Panama. That's a must. 
all of a sudden six points puts you at 11 points uh, out of, you know, you need probably 21 to, to, to finish in the top four, maybe even a little less if teams continue to, to draw like there's no tomorrow. It could put you in a big, a good position. Because if you lose to Jamaica, all of a sudden you're sitting with, say, seven, eight points. You got a lot of ground to make up in the back half of your games. And I don't think it, people are talking about the fact that Canada in their first, for example, eight games are playing five of them at home. And uh, they're, they're one, you know, they they played two of their easier away games in the top half of these games. So if they, the, the more points they put on the board, it, it puts less pressure on them to, to go into that gauntlet that, that awaits them at the end of the, the end of the, the 14 game cycle. I was just going to say, uh, going back a little bit, but, you know, shout out to Wes Morgan. If we're, we're speaking about Jamaican center backs balling out in the, the Premier League, that's always one that sort of pops up to mind. But then I think to kind of add on to what you were just saying, I mean, CONCACAF travel is, is never good. It's never easy. But relatively speaking, in air, you know, in air quotes, only having to travel to Mexico and Jamaica in a window is certainly kinder than it could be so i think again that just goes to you know to point out the the absolute imperative nature of that jamaican match and then also to to not let the travels and the the chaos of the window affect your home performance in that third match as well like that's a some manageable time frame to you know get back and have guys ready to go so i think those those two matches are huge and uh yeah i mean at this point do we want to do we want to dive into the squad and the players that are going to have to face these matches? Because that's uh, that's obviously just as important as the logistics behind them. Well, let's do it. I mean, 27-man squad for Herdman. Uh, as some might say, about time that he goes for the extended squad after essentially selecting 22 the first time around, given that his 23rd man was a, a very injured Lucas Cavallini. But uh, this time he goes 27. But again... Injuries, absences do loom large. So I feel it's, it's, we'll start with those who are kind of there, but not really sure about. I think Kyle Iron and Atiba Hutchinson are two. Herdman had confidence that he could get them for at least a game or two this window. Uh, if you ask Bashiktas' head coach, doesn't sound like they'll travel. Uh, so maybe not. So they're, they're, those two, I'd say, plan as if they won't be there. Uh, otherwise, Milan Borian picked up COVID last week. Um, so depending on, you know, how fast he recovers from that and uh, how his vaccination status is, he may or may not be ready for the second or third game. Obviously you have Max Crepo and James Pentemis. You're in pretty good hands there. If uh, Borian isn't able to come back, uh, and, and otherwise, uh, you got Lucas Cavallini, who's also dealing with a, a bit of a knee knock. Um, so he's, He's with the squad, but or I don't even know if he's with the squad. But I think we'll find out uh, today, even because you're going to Whitecaps training. If you see him around, that's not good news for 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 him. But uh, he's in the squad, but we don't know if he's traveled yet. And then lastly, the one absence who won't be there, he was ruled out. Scott Kennedy picked up a muscle strain, could keep him out past the November windows. Uh, the good news is for most of those guys, you got quality replacements. I mean, the five called in. Uh, it's the same squad as last window. So, you know, in, in goal, Crepo, Pantemi, Sporian at, at center back, you got, you know, Miller, Vittoria, uh, Henry, you go fullback, et cetera, et cetera. The new guys to replace those who are either out or close to being out is uh, for Cavallini, I guess you got Charles Andreas Brim up front, like for like uh, striker for striker. 
we can talk about that one in a sec, a bit of an interesting one for, for Lair and more of a, you know, winger slash forward, you got Jacob Schaffelberg, very good, you know, shrewd choice, say from Herdman Schaffelberg has been in great form. Uh, you know, going down, you got Derek Cornelius for Scott Kennedy. I think we're both a big fan of that, that one being made. It was, it was long overdue for, for him to, to come in another winger, uh, with for you know surprisingly and not another midfielder but another guy who deserved to call up 100% Liam Miller as well those are kind of the the four uh, you know new guys that were were called in to make this a, a 27 man squad so I mean I don't know if we want to do we want to talk about those surprise inclusions first before we we, we talk about just the, the the rest of the squad I think sure we might as well it's a it's a good place to start and I guess we'll We'll start with the guy that were, it's not necessarily a surprise inclusion given the options available, but, you know, welcome back, Derek Cornelius. Uh, great to see that he's going to find, you know, potentially find a role in the squad throughout these these matches, especially because, you know, depth of that position is not terribly deep anyways, and uh, and he's getting regular minutes now in Greece, and, and it seems like his, um, his team's been doing decently well and had, had some strong showing, so uh, excited to see him back in the fold. Uh, we were chatting about pre-show, but uh, Jacob Schaffelberg, I think it's, uh, you know, in a year for TFC where everything has gone wrong and it's and it's been a real struggle. He's been one of those, those bright spots, and uh, not the moving to Montreal, I mean, not that it's been a, a as challenging of a year, but, uh, you know, Brogiard has also been been phenomenal in a bright spot. And so to to see him back in and to, to see the integration to some kind of, you know, Olympic qualifier, U23 initiative type players. And, uh, you know, the more they can kind of develop that system of having guys be comfortable at, at both levels, I think that's really good. Those are all. Those all made a lot of sense to me. Uh, the the brim call up is a is an interesting one because uh, with Lucas Cavallini, you know his status certainly being unclear. I just it doesn't seem like that needs a hundred percent. Don't know why he was so. I mean, I understand why he was eager to come back as soon as he did, but it it seemed like the whole handling of that situation situation could have been could have been much better. Um, because you could kind of, you could see this coming a mile away and no one really did anything to stop it. And yeah, you're in a tough spot because you're basically looking at, you know, Tesho Akindeli, Theo Bear, possibly, Brim, possibly. But, you know, we're speaking about Bear and Brim, if you're just going to go off Olympic qualifiers, neither of those guys had a ton of success at that level. So, you know, do, do you think that they're going to be able to come in and have success on on a big stage? You know, Akindeli is an option. It's just, it, it, it's a bit of a tough one. Uh, I guess I understand why, you know, maybe maybe it's relationship with John Herdman. Maybe it's what, you know, Mauro Biello was saying from the, from the qualifiers. Who knows exactly? Maybe it's just the form report from the coaches. But uh, Brim was the choice. It's that that was maybe the most interesting call I think on, on the entire roster for me. And Cava's injury status just all of a sudden makes something that wouldn't have been very important before uh, something worth focusing on. Well, it's interesting if you talk U twenty three qualifiers. If you're selecting between Brim and Bear, I mean, I think Bear showed a bit more than Brim. Whereas you know Brim, it felt like when he played up front, he just kind of 
got lost in games whereas it, it wasn't it wasn't great for either was, of them because the wasn't, service wasn't there and and, and, the, and the tactical plan wasn't there so i don't know if it was a super fair evaluation of either of them no, really no, but for, for sure for not even that that's what i mean at least in the in that limited uh sample size which wasn't i again a, a, we talked about it back in march it was a, a nightmare to be a striker in that team but at least from what you you know if anything you would have seen a bit more from bear if anything in terms of his hold up play and just just showing what what he he all has to offer so if that was why you know if that's the choice between bear and brim off of olympic qualifiers i'd arguably go bear but i mean it, it makes sense uh in terms of okay you know bears in a, in a good situation in norway I'm not sure if they take a break for international uh, breaks in the second Norwegian division. So with them so close to promotion, he stays there. Brim's playing in a very good Dutch second league. I think it's, it just really depends what the justification for the decision is. And if anything, there's one name that, 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 you know, we'll maybe we'll touch on in a sec. Richie Ennen, for example, is playing at a pretty high level and he's a striker. He's Canadian. If you're going off of level, he, if anything, deserved some sort of, uh, so, sort of look, but the, yeah, the forward situation is quite interesting really with, with Cavallini out uh, or not out, but feels like he's going to be ruled out with his knee issues. Kyle Laren, Io Akinola. just feels like all of a sudden there's just, it's Jonathan David. And then, there's really no natural strikers after him. I mean, Miller can play striker. He's a winger. Um, otherwise, who, who can you play striker? Tejon Buchanan, I suppose, can kind of be as a, as an emergency striker. Uh, Alfonso Davies, maybe Jonathan Azorio. He kind of plays like a second striker. There's just a lack of natural number nines. And the thing is, it's really just the the, the program in, in, in general. And I think that's why you want a guy like a Daniel Jebison to commit to Canada because he'd actually he'd shore up a position of need and add that that last bit of depth. And I think if, you know, say Jebison were to commit and you had a striker pool of Lair and David, Cavallini, uh, you know, Bear, Brim, uh, Jebison, all fighting for, for four spots. I think the competition would be great. You kind of got your big three and then you can kind of let the, the, the other guys fight for those last spots. But right now when your big three or your big two or two, your big three are injured, all of a sudden you see, okay, yeah, Canada is actually not as deep up, up front as they, they, they would have hoped. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they make up for, for that. Cause they got a, they got the rest of their team around them. So they'll be able to actually make service, but will the, the lack of a, you know, Someone who's a, you know, as much as you hate to use that a term, a quote unquote proven goal scorer for the national team, other than Jonathan David, does that make a difference? I guess we'll see. But otherwise, Jacob Schaffelberg scoring and assisting for fun for TFC. I think he has two goals, four assists his last three games or four games, no, five games it was, sorry. Uh, Great run of form there. Yeah, he had that goal against Miami that should have been a goal, didn't count. So if anything, you could have more where it went over the line. The no no goal line technology, nonetheless. Nice to see that. He's 21. He's still super young, even though it feels like he's been around for a while. Long-term player for the national team. Canada's winger depth isn't as strong as some people claim it is, but having emergence of guys like Schaffelberg makes a big difference towards shoring that up. Otherwise, uh, Zachary Brogiar, uh, I mean, if anything, he's been good all year. He deserved his call up back in March. He just didn't get it because Canada's so deep at fullback. So it's nice to, to see him finally get that that shot to, to win a spot. Liam Miller, uh, again, speaking of winger depth, he's in great form after a slow start. That's huge. That's important. Canada needs more wingers. 
he's playing at a really good level at Basel. I don't think it's talked enough about how good of a club Basel is to have a Canadian playing there and getting regular minutes performing. Uh, and then lastly, Cornelius. I mean, it was long overdue. If anything, the thing is, you, you, he was always good in the Canada shirt. If purely off of that alone, you'd call him up. He just hasn't been playing enough with the Whitecaps over the last two and a half years. Now at Greece, in Greece, Panatolikos, uh, indispensable starter. Started every all five games. He's only come off a few times because I needed a, a, a someone to, to chase a late goal or you know something like that. But he's gone at least 85, I think it is, in all of his five games in a very good Greek league. Lots to like with his inclusion. Hopefully he becomes a regular fixture in the squad again. Well, I'm, I'm glad you went back to center back at the end there because we, we kind of talked about attacking and wide options. And I think the the midfield's probably the, the position where, you know, it, it, it solves itself or it's 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 pretty tough to go wrong. But then looking at that, you know, that back three, the center back options without Kennedy, you know, I don't want to say it's thin, but it's the options become a little bit more limited. So just looking at these three matches and, and speaking kind of practically, you know, is this something where you try to run out Victoria, Miller, and Johnston as, as much as physically possible? Or what kind of roles do you see former Whitecaps, Daniil Henry and Derek Cornelius having to play? Well, you know, how much are they going to get involved? Or do you think that Herdman's just going to try to run it back with the same back three as much as he possibly can? You're going to see a lot of Alistair Johnston, I think. He yeah, that's, that's two- for sure, I think. I, he played all 270 minutes last window. He's young. He didn't show any effects. He didn't. His performance didn't drop. You're going to see a lot of Alistair Johnston, I think. And then otherwise, you can't run out Vittoria for three games. No, Plus that's, that's, the the, that's the challenge, right? Is that Plus he's on the yellow card, so he's going to get a forced rest anywhere somewhere. Yeah. You know he's a walking second yellow waiting to, <laughs> to happen. I think him and Daniil Henry rotate like they did last window. Derek Cornelius and Kamal Miller rotate. I think you're fine with that group. It's thin if there's an injury or a suspension, but I think the last window we saw the formula. I think it's just uh, the thing that lingers with me is, you know, Daniil Henry in for Vittoria in, in big matches. That just, there's part of me that still has a bit of a bit of a challenge fully, fully trusting that. But uh, yeah, overall, I mean, the, the, the squad depth is certainly encouraging and to to see the way, you know, even in spite of injuries, Canada's been able to integrate some of these young players into the fold. They're able to get some new names in with, you know, through de- depth positions. That's been really exciting. I think that, you know, if this was a couple of years ago, you wouldn't be able to survive a couple injuries or a couple absences. And it feels like, okay, maybe you you sacrifice depth a little bit when guys are out with injury, that's going to happen to every squad. But the way Canada's been able to sort of sustain all the, you know, the, the topsy-turvy nature of international football and CONCACAF is, has been impressive so far, and hopefully that's able to be backed up in these these matches this upcoming week. But uh, where do we want to move from here? I mean, do we want to talk a little bit more about the matchups specifically, like what we can expect, you know, tactically, against Mexico, against Jamaica, against Panama? Yeah, I mean, uh, we can for sure talk about that. Uh, pretty much other notes from the squad, I think we pretty much touched on, on it. Uh, otherwise, I think it was it was interesting to see that maybe uh, Herdman could have gone for another name in midfield with Noah Tiba Hutchinson. Obviously, Scott Arfield isn't playing enough <laughs> at his club. He would have been an option, though. 
uh, to to replace someone. Uh, otherwise, though, with with no with Ralph Preso out injured over in Toronto, I think he's someone who would have very well been close to a call up. I think Michael Baldissimo, for example, had he been getting more regular game time, would have been nice to see him get a shot uh, in midfield to replace uh, Hutchinson. If not, we'll talk about it in the second half. I'll, I won't say much. I was, I was, I was going to bring it up if you weren't. Russell uh, Tybert. A, a particular is, someone on Twitter was talking about Russell Tybert on the men's national team. So, yeah, we can't leave that out. Uh, well, well, we'll talk about that in the Whitecaps <laughs> chatter maybe. But just saying as much, if, if you think Russell Tybert isn't uh, currently on form to play the national team, you either hate him so just incessantly that you're it's clouding judgment or you know you're you're not thinking straight you know you that's why that's why i put out that tweet the other day i'm like i mean as a utility player off the bench i think he he I'm can definitely he play a, exactly. he can like, definitely yeah. play a role that's the thing i think some people forget that i'm not suggesting russell tybert should go start tomorrow in the azteca and go play 90 95 minutes but you know, it's, some people just aren't ready to. The thing is, there, there's some players that just elicit such strong emotional reaction, good or bad. And I think, thing is, I didn't address any of the, some of the responses on the tweets. I didn't, I just couldn't be bothered. But the fact that I said it isn't what some people want to hear, and some guy called me a crackhead, I think I proved my point, and I don't even need to address that. That, that. so, anyways, just saying, Russell Tybert also would have been a nice guy to see in midfield. But uh, otherwise, the nice thing about this Canada squad is it's flexible. So I think you could get away with experimenting some with some some things to kind of get away with supposed weak spots or points of where you feel like you're a little short. So you know, at striker or at center back, you could always Sam Adekugbe could be useful in a back three. I think I think he has the skills to play in a back three, if if needed. I mean. Heck, this guy could do any every everything at this point. I wouldn't put it past Stefanu Stacchio being useful in a back three uh, if needed, or even Richie Larea somehow finding a way to make himself useful in the back three. Otherwise, up front, again, there's a lot of options to, to put in striker. So moving to the games itself, we'll start with, with, with Mexico because that's the big one. You know, what do you expect from this Mexico game? What's a reasonable approach to have for this Mexico game if you're Canada? I think it's a tough one. You're playing the best team in the region in their home, full fat packs. Well, not packed. We don't know how much tickets are selling, but you know they have the ability to pack the stadium after their. Uh, they they were supposed to be banned from fans, and of course, conveniently, the the, the ruling got overturned, and they only had to serve one game of that suspension for. Uh, the anti-homophobic chants, but uh, Mexico first. Well, how do you approach that game if you're John Herdman? Because we have to add, they're already missing those five players we, we said at the top. They're also going to be missing two more. Junior Hoylet, uh, unable to travel to Mexico due to the, the whole health rules between the UK and Mexico. Uh, some some questions about his vaccination state, uh, status. D- ditto with David Weatherspoon, also unable to travel to Mexico. You're going to be down 21 guys, but you still have Tejan Buchanan, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Stefan Ustakio, et cetera, et cetera. How do you approach a game like that? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking back at the last time these two teams matched up, right, in the in the Gold Cup. And, uh, you know, I think you've got, a, you've got a stronger squad now than you did then. And, I mean, obviously the same is 
the same is true of Mexico, but I think you have to you have to take some of the the wrinkles from that match and carry as much of that forward as you can. And I, I think that one thing that really stands out is, you know, at least Canada did not play they didn't this is such a, a sports cliche, but they they didn't play scared in that match. They didn't just, you know, hand the ball away and 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 let Mexico dictate. There were moments, and yes, it wasn't throughout the entire match where Canada was willing to stay on the ball, was willing to control it. And I think they they obviously they're going to have more tools at their disposal to to play that kind of match if they want to. And I think they've also had more time, albeit limited because it's international football, but to to dial in their shape and their approach. So I like the fact that you know we're. We're probably seeing, if I understand the Borean situation correctly, it's almost like 100% that Max Kripo's going to start this match. I mean, he's got some good vibes in that stadium. He, he's not going to be uncomfortable. So I think that's, you know, if if they say that things start with the keeper in the back line, I, his communication back there in this hostile environment, I really like. So I think just the Canada's not going to get, I, I don't believe at least, you know, rattled by the moment or just completely outclassed it's going to come down to to the specifics within it and that's nice because that's not always a luxury that Canada has been afforded in the past and I do think it's a I mean it goes without saying but it's a it's a travesty that Mexico is going to have fans for this match after what went on and how they continue to sort of wriggle away from punishment due to frankly you know bs reasons is, is is incredibly frustrating especially when it might you know end up costing canada points and you know cost canada points because of a match played between canada and mexico so it's just that whole situation makes the blood boil a little bit for sure yeah and i mean before i talk about kind of the specifics of the game history you have to talk about history because i was doing research last night Best little, not to think about it, maybe, but alas. <laughs> I mean, first of all, historically, Canada's only beat Mexico three times, I think. The, the official tally is two times at home, once at the Gold Cup. So what does that mean? They've never beaten Mexico in Mexican soil, competitively or friendlies, uh, ever. The last time they even picked up a competitive point off of Mexico. So gone to Mexico in a competitive match and picked up a point, a draw, was in 1981 and the, the last time they picked up a point at the Azteca was in 1980 so the last Tiba Hutchinson wasn't even around with us back back when the last time uh Canada picked up a point and he's the the elder statesman of this group by a long shot but again hey this Canadian team has been a team to break streaks you know this summer they made it to the gold cup semis for the first time since 07 you know they 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 beat you know, a year, two years ago, they beat U.S. for the first time since, the, you know, in 34 years. They made the Octo, the final round, for the first time since 97. They've been breaking a lot of those sort of long-standing records. So it's not to say it's impossible. But first of all, you have to understand that that's the history. And, you know, there's some good Canadian teams who've gone to Mexico. And, 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 you know, maybe not as good as this one. You must preface it by saying this is a very good Canadian team. One's the last time you had a world 11 player for example going down to mexico you've never had a world 11 player go down to, to mexico and that's going to be a potential game changer to have an alfonso davies and 
you know, you got Jonathan David, who's the top scorer in Liga. I mean, he has more goals than Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe combined, just saying. Um, you know, it's just throwing that out there. You got some informed players that are very intriguing if you're Canada. But historically, there's a reason why they haven't picked up points and never won in Mexico. It's hot. It, the altitude in Mexico City is brutal for, for those who have who've played in the stadium. You've got 70,000 fans screaming at you. Every time you take a corner, you're getting stuff thrown at you. Some nights you're not even sleeping at the hotel because conveniently fireworks are going to be going off outside the hotel. Um, people are going to stalk your training sessions and try to, to report intel back to the, the national team. It's just the thing is with these these games, it's not as much about the opponent, but it's just the conditions. Heck, the pitch at the Azteca for how big of a stadium it is, it can also be a bit shoddy at times. It's not necessarily the, say, the grass they're used to at BMO Field, for example, or, or turf, where at least you know what you're going to uh, you're gonna get, say, at a BC place. So just before you even go into the game, specifics of the game, you're dealing with all this eternal, you know, external crap really for the lack of a better word to put it it's just all this extra stuff where that's before you've even kicked off a ball and Mexico's a pretty darn good team it's not say like an El Salvador or Honduras where they've got all that going on but in terms of talent you're confident in your matchup you're playing the best team in CONCACAF and you must deal with all this so yes it's a tough matchup Canada realistically if you get a draw you're dancing if you get three points you, you know you're pinching yourself you're like did I did I just dream it because uh, there's not many teams that have even ever grabbed three points of the Azteca. It's probably as long as, you know, my hand. But you do look back at that that Mexico game in the Gold Cup. You do have some uh, a bit of promise. It, it, it wasn't Mexico's A team, but it was a lot more of a Mexican A team than it was a Canadian A team. I'm just looking back at the lineup. Canada started Tesho Akindeli up front and played 70 minutes. That, that tells uh, you everything you need to know about that match. I think and, and how that, well the Canadians played and battled in that environment, given what they were up against and given the team they were fielding in comparison to their best 11. Well, that, that's exactly it. I mean, if you remember that Gold Cup game, they lost 2-1 on pretty much the last kick of the game in the 98th minute, which is it's so funny how it all that there was a 98th minute because of the whole chant. That's why it's a whole other story that the, the chants, uh, you know, a bit of a sore spot around here for good reason. But you can see it in the 98th minute. Canada also actually controlled sections of the play in the first and second half and were the better team and gave up the other goal off of a very useless penalty from Daniel Henry. First of all, Daniel Henry, I think he, he's been great pretty much every game except that even in that Mexico game, he was great other than that one moment. But you got Steven Vittoria in his place, a, a guy who you know you're not going to get that rashness from. That's already say, quote-unquote, upgrade number one. Tesho Akindeli, who played 70 minutes, you have Jonathan David in his place. I'm safe to say I think that's an upgrade. Third choice, you have Junior Hoylet, who was great in that Mexico game. He's obviously out. You're replacing with Alfonso Davies. That's also, as much as Junior Hoylet's a very underrated player on the national team, that's also an upgrade. You like your chances with those three players in, inserted in uh, for, for, for the ones that Canada used against Mexico. And while... Mexico, of course, will we'll throw in a few surprises themselves. I think Irving Lozano is back for these games, and that's always going to be a threat to deal with. Otherwise, it's still going to be a very similar team for them. So I think in terms of the matchup on paper, you like your chances if you're Canada, but it's going to be really how are they going to respond to the occasion? How are they going to respond to fans? Are they going to come out scared? Are they going to play with confidence? 
is this is definitely a game where if you're Canada, you have to score first to have to have any chance. It's a game if you go down one nil, maybe you get you know at the Gold Cup where you, you you tie it back and you go one one, but you have to score first just to have a chance. So for me, that's going to mean okay, are you going to come up with fear or are you going to come up with a bit of confidence? Uh, as much of a cliche that, that that is playing without fear or playing you know ignoring the emotions of the crowd because uh, it's just with so all the external factors it's going to come down to how you respond to that and because on paper this there's a lot to like for this matchup if you're Canada yeah I guess I'll just add two more things about the the matchup specifically number one is that I, I like the fact that that Canada's a a younger team going into this you know, certainly in the age category, but they're they're a young team with some some decent experience at the you know you got David and Davies and sure numerically they you know they don't have a lot of miles under their belt, but they've played in some some huge environments. And then secondarily, I think something that's interesting is I've never noticed going into you know mind you it's been a couple of years, but going into international matches with Canada and especially a big a big team like Mexico where you've received so much you know hate and and you know smack talk and and just buzz on a platform like Twitter from Mexican fans and I think you know before it was almost you know apathy or disinterest right like no no one cared about Canada they weren't they weren't concerned they weren't interested i get a sense now that you know this is this is not just a big matchup for um for Canada this is a big matchup for Mexico as well and i think that's that's very exciting in that you know that potentially changes the dynamic of this match where you know Mexico has something to i mean obviously you have something to play for when it's world cup qualifiers but there, there's going to be, I think, some nerves and some some memories of that Gold Cup match and how tight it was going into this. And that's the first time I can ever remember there being any sort of psychological edge or, you know, potential little little bit of motivation to to just add on for the Canadians. And I think that's that's terrific. That doesn't mean they're going to go get a result, but I think I think we can fully expect another very competitive match. As you said, I think that that first goal crucial to deciding how the rest of this one's going to go down. Well, I think it's just Mexico is finally a reason to fear Canada. I think, you know, if you're if you think Canada's not a good team, you'd just be ignorant to think, oh yeah, they're going to come in here with Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, and it's going to be an easy night. It's not going to be easy for the Mexicans. But the so I think for me the biggest change is if you're looking between just say now. And 2016, which is, I think, the last time Canada went down to the Azteca when they had Mexico in the round. It would have been back then. The, the, it was the round before what was formerly known as the Hex. But uh, back then, I think it would have been round four or three. Back then, it just felt like you were going to Mexico. You were praying for a nil-nil where Mexico hit eight posts, right? It was it was a game <laughs> where if you were you were hoping for a result but it was of the miraculous sort it was it wasn't a result where canada played really well and picked up a point it was no canada dug their nails deep into the side uh, you know and just hung on and and they had a pretty decent lineup back then if i'm not mistaken i think scott arfield atiba hutchinson junior hoylet kyle laren that's just off the top of my head I, I could be wrong maybe some of them missed out through injuries or or other absences but they had decent squad Milan Borean uh you know back then players in their prime too like you know Arfield was in his late 20s Hutchinson early 30s Hoylet late 20s 
guys guys in their in their prime but obviously this canadian team is miles ahead of that that 2016 team not to compare them at all but now what feels different is that you can actually there's a possibility that canada goes and at least plays toe-to-toe with mexico and say mexico's asleep you actually have confidence that canada could theoretically outplay mexico not that it will but there's actually this belief that they could go outplay or at least hold their own with mexico and win or draw off of merit, not just okay. You know, you, you hit they hit eight posts. You got a lucky game. Those those happen. No, this is a game where you feel like Canada, if they play their game, which is the big if, they can actually get a point out of this one or three. And that for me is the most exciting part. Because yes, it's hard to play in the Aztec. I think I'd give them a twenty-seven to twenty to eighty or a thirty-seventy shot of them picking up a point, and a ten to ninety shot of them winning. But before, the, the odds were next to nothing. I think and those odds are just based on Mexico having all the factors. But what those that, 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 that math doesn't consider is that Canada can go out and hang with Mexico and give them a game and, and put them on their heels. And for me, that's just the most exciting part heading into this game is that Canada can finally go give Mexico a game away, and I hope they go do. Because there's obviously talks of, oh, you should rotate. It's Mexico. If you lose, it's okay. No, you don't want to go down there and get battered with your B squad because that's just going to put a bad mood in the locker room for the rest of the the camp. It's a short camp. You don't want to have a 4-0 in the back of your head as you go into Jamaica and Panama and make those a must-win game. Whereas if you do, you know, pick out a point against Mexico, it it alleviates pressure for later. So I just want them to go and play without inferiority because for the first time in a long time, they have the capacity to do so. Yeah, I think you... You outlined that well. We already we already chatted a little bit about you know going into the next match in in Jamaica and how important that's going to be. I'm not sure if you've got anything to add there, but uh, what are we thinking about? I, I think the one that almost most intrigues me is facing off against Panama because they've been underrated so far in this this stage of the the octagon and and been really good defensively. And I think you know really of any team so far in this stage they've probably been the most content with the the three results they pulled out I mean I think every team to some extent has no one's played their best football but uh Panama might might have come the closest over the first three matches yeah I mean Panama is an interesting squad uh obviously if you look at their results you have to be intrigued beating Jamaica away drawing Mexico at home good results yes they drew costa rica at home maybe a result you'd want back if you're uh if you're panama but you know you, they made up for by beating jamaica away and then and, and drawing mexico at home so you know as, as much as for for what they are as a, as a team kind of to be honest heading into this probably the eight, eighth ranked team from in most people's eyes that's massive to see them even contending for the top four and it really shows how competitive this octo is, is going to be for those that that fourth third you know those those third fourth uh spots assuming that mexico and us are the the favorites i think there's no other than maybe mexico who the fact that they played not so good and still picked up seven points shows you how how hard it is to dethrone mexico but after that it's it's wide open and teams like panama are a big reason why i think if you're canada you're actually really happy you're playing them in the third game because the one advantage i think we saw last window is Canada and the U.S., those two teams in particular, 
their depth compared to every other nation makes a huge difference because both teams were playing. U.S. went down to Honduras with a very rotated squad. No Pulis or, you know, they lost Pulisic at halftime. They're playing Ricardo Pepe up front for the first time. They're missing a bunch of guys. They beat Honduras 4-1. I got, or I think it was, I don't think we taught, we didn't, we haven't talked about how wild of a result that is for a U.S. team that historically would go down to Honduras with an A team and struggle. So the fact they went down with a rotated squad and won, and Canada as well was missing Davies and Laren and beat El Salvador without second thought. So I think the nice thing is heading into that third game with Panama probably already being tired. Canada is the favorites no matter what happens in terms of injuries, but uh, it's still not a team you want to face. You'd much rather face another team in that third game. So it's going to be interesting to see if Panama finds a way to get some extra juice in their legs and get up for that one and surprise Canada because well, I think Canada should win that game due to their depth. It's one where they can't afford to fall asleep and be, oh, we're going to cruise through this like we did against El Salvador because this Panama team just seems to be in a better a better form and a, and a better mindset to avoid that. Yeah, I guess the two notes I'd have for, for Panama is that they've, they've been very good defensively, but really, you know, outside of that um, kind of romp over Jamaica where I think the, the match got a little bit out of hand for the, for the reggae boys they're not the most potent attacking team, but I, so I, I think that's especially away from home, you know, do they just go into, to BMO field looking for a single point? And I, I think that Canada has the tools to exploit that and, you know, maybe take the match two or three nil if everything goes according to plan. But I do want to give a shout out to, you know, some of these, whether it's Costa Rica and Panama Specifically, I think of, you know, one of the big issues is that their squads have been getting older and some of those those players from the past generation just, you know, they haven't been able to find replacements. But one position where so far it kind of seems like they've done that, Panama this is, is at the center back position. You got Fidel Escobar, who's 26, but then Andreas Andrade, who's only only 22, I believe, and he's playing in the Bundesliga right now. And uh, those two guys have started alongside each other in all three of these matches so far, and held up really well against Mexico. So I think in a, you know, some of these Central American teams are are struggling to find that next generation of of players to to fill in in Concacaf. But uh, it seems like Panama has done a, a nice job at the CB position. And I think that's a big part of why they've had some success so far. Yeah, well, I think Panama is a fascinating team because you look at El Salvador and Honduras. They're more, they're always been teams that have had just a, a ridiculous home field advantage. They play really cohesive. It hasn't been about the individuals. Obviously, Honduras does have Elise, but beyond that, they're again like usual a collective team. Um, you look at some of the other teams. You know, okay, maybe Jamaica is quite the talented squad. Canada, Mexico. You look at Costa Rica. They were a team that had a golden generation. You look at their team now, it's not as inspiring. But this Panama team, it's not talked about how they have some, like, for example, they have a really heavy Spain contingent of guys playing in the first and second divisions of Spain who aren't talked about a lot. I think that's uh, something to consider. I mean, heck, you look at their squad from this window. They have a bunch of guys playing in the first division of Israel, which is a very, uh, you know, that's a good circuit. A lot of them are young players, uh, you know, too. You got looking down the the list yeah you got a lot of guys playing for in spain for clubs like leganes zaragoza sporting gijon you got uh you know guys playing in mls as, as well you got 
guys playing in the Panamanian and other South American leagues, someone playing in the Slovakian first uh, division. It, as far as squads go in CONCACAF, it's a lot better. It's, you know, say, example, we'll use El Salvador. Again, a tough team. They've got a bunch of guys playing in the USL, for example, whereas Panama, they've managed to instead fill out those spots with guys playing in, in Europe and at, at good levels or guys playing in their, their local league. And I think because of that, it makes them an, an, an intriguing squad to watch because they're a lot, they, they've found a way to, to improve their talent pool uh, almost really from where they, when they qualified for the world cup, where it was a, an aging squad and they, they, they made it um, to the, to 2018 with that kind of the last of a golden generation. Well, despite that they've turned over the roster and found some even more intriguing uh, young names. And if anything, I think what we'll see from them, this, uh, this Octo is a, that they can compete for a fourth spot and that B they might be screwed over from the fact that Canada and, you know, a team like Canada and the U S have done so well in the last few years to, for Canada to become a top team and for the U S to return to a top team. Cause Panama really showed last window when U S struggled, they took the U S's spot and qualified uh, directly for world cup. Whereas now they're going to be in tough, but as they showed in the first window, they're a lot better than people remember. And it's, they, they have a chance to at least finish in the top four. Yeah, I guess the last guy I would shout out if you're if you're looking for some MLS content, uh, Annabelle Godoy in the middle of midfield, just uh, kind of you know does it all. Thirty-one years old provides that that veteran presence to kind of integrate with with some of the younger guys in the squad, and he's been in terrific form for Nashville, um, who's obviously been having a very successful year and uh, has looked strong so far and and played a big role in those first three matches for Panama. So uh, really, all three of these matches. Uh, you know, very little com- to complain about as a viewer. I think there's there's interesting storylines and interesting matchups throughout all three. You know, if you're looking big picture, you're probably you're thinking you're thinking six points, right? I mean, I think this is this is mission mission six points out of this uh, this stretch of three matches. And then you know, I guess I would add the question: first of all, you think that's a realistic expectation, and second of all, uh, you know, do you think that how's Canada going to look if, if that's where you're at after this, this next week in a bit? I think six has to be the expectation. You, you, you need to win Panama home. You need, uh, sorry, I just praised that horribly. You need to win against Panama home or you need to beat Panama. That's home, that sounded both. very much like Mark DeSantos there where he's talking yeah, about you, matchups, you, you know, need and to you, win you, at home. You need yeah. to win Panama home. Yeah. But, uh, that's a must i think and i think jamaica way with the state they're in missing all their stars if panama beat them their last window you can beat them there this window at least you should have that and you know even forgetting panama and you should think you can beat jamaica away anyways but the fact that uh, panama did provides a, a kind of a blueprint six i think six is the uh, the minimum i think you want uh especially out of this window and if you get anything above that you're gravy and that could be huge because say if you get, I'd say I, I put this out the other day. Um, if you get to seven from this window, that puts you at twelve. And if you if you if you sit at twelve, uh, we've said it a many a time. I don't even know if, we, if this was pre-show, if this was on the show. The whole twenty-one points, uh, the the bar I, I talk about a lot. But anyways, I'll bring it up again. Twenty-one points, I think, is the bar I established for. I, I'd be very surprised if a team gets. To 21 points and doesn't finish in the top four and at least get a playoff or go straight to to qatar so i think you that's 
if I'm Canada, you're shooting a 21, you want 25, I think, to really 24, 25 to cement your spot in Qatar. But if you get to 12 with eight games to go, which which is what they do if they were to pick up seven points this window, because already at five, you'd be in a great position because that would mean that in your last eight games, you need three wins uh, to, to, to get to, to, to Qatar, at least to finish in that that 21 point bar. You, you do pl- still play, uh, you know, Mexico, Costa Rica, the U.S., and Jamaica at home. So that's four home games for you to get three wins. Plus, you know, you could always sneak a, a win away. That's in a great – you put yourself in a great position if you get seven or even six points. You get to 11. Because the one thing that is important to note, the bar is dropping. Uh, it, it depends on what happens this window. But if key, based on what we saw the first window with all those absurd amount of draws – Every time a team draws, the bar drops a bit lower. And if teams keep drawing, all of a sudden you might only need 18, 19, 20 points to, to finish in the top four. And if you're already at 11, 12, you, it feels nice to look, okay, we only need six or, or nine. Not to say that's you're, you're going to leave that to the last two games and save those six points for, you know, back in March when you have to face Jamaica. And I think it would be caught panama i think in the in the last game you don't want to do that but it, it, it just it's mentally so much nicer to look at the schedule like oh we need six points okay we can go into this these mexico and costa rica games next month at home and play with a, a, a without a bit of pressure and play free and give our fans a show and, and pick up wins there so for me i think if you get seven points in this window you're sitting in a fantastic position and that's no matter what happens in the other games heck if everyone else decides to draw a bunch of games again and you win two games, you're going to be in an even greater position than, than the one I'm suggesting. So if you're Canada, you try to get those six to seven points and then you ask questions later. And I think no matter what happens, you'll be in a fantastic position if you do that. Yeah. Just to, to echo that, I think you want to put yourself in a position where, you know, the further on this qualification stage goes, the less you find yourself looking at the table and, and doing, you know, complex equations to try to figure out what results you need, right? You The more points you can stockpile early on, the, the more freedom it gives you going into those later matches and the less you have to worry about all the possible permutations. And yeah, if a bunch of teams around you draw and that, that bar, as you said, lowers, then, then all the better. But uh, with that, I think it's a good opportunity to... Uh, Take it to a short break here, and then we'll be uh, back with some Whitecaps chat. Hello, everyone. Alex here. We're just taking a quick break to share a word from our friends and partners over at Macy's Sports, located in North Van, near the Second Arrows Bridge. They're your one-stop shop for everything related to soccer, field hockey, rugby, you name it, they probably got it. As the club season continues to ramp up here, you're missing some gear, you have a jersey you want to get a friend or for yourself, uh, you, you know a ref in your life who needs a, an extra jersey or you need some boots because yours got a hole in it, it's your place to, to go right now. If you mention that you are a listener of the third sub podcast, you do get a nice little discount, so make sure to head over there. And take a look at the amazing store of stuff that they have at their disposal. But on that note, we'll get back to the show. But shout out, as always, to our friends over at Macy's Sports. And we're back. Uh, obviously, Whitecaps talk. We, we, we've been hinting at it before. Usually in a, in a show like this where we spend... Uh, most of the the show talking a, a split of Canada, Whitecaps, 
let's just say we wouldn't be looking forward to this section. It'd be, you know, you're talking about Canada winning, fighting for Spada in, in the World Cup, and then you go to Whitecaps, and it would be existential dread. What is going on? Make more subs. Why aren't you using all five subs? Um, you know, why why can't you pass a ball forward? Why can't you move in the final third? But it's nice. The Vancouver Whitecaps, dare I say, not only are they winning games, but they're playing fun soccer <laughs> i mean when's the last time we we, we said anything of, of that that like on this show i don't think we've ever really had a, a period of games on in the third sub-existence to to chat about like this but the white caps continue to get results last week we talked uh, i was interested i will give myself a pat on the back from last week we had our discussion what was a re- reasonable expectation for the white caps against houston against san jose i said they'll struggle to get a win against Houston and they'll draw and they'll beat San Jose. You had it opposite. I will, you know, as much as you, you I don't want to pat my back too much. I, it's always worth giving credit where credit is due on, on that one. Cause uh, the white caps, but you know, jokes aside, the white caps did, you know, they went to Houston with a lineup that I think the best way to sum it up with someone, a, a tweet on, on Twitter I, that I, I saw for, we'll shut them out. Aman, uh, I think it was Adamon Ludu on Twitter. <laughs> he said under Mark DeSantos with the lineup they brought to Houston, they would have lost 3-0 and that would have just felt like existential dread. They somehow etched out a 0-0 draw and then they beat San Jose, which isn't something that happened all too much against Mark, under Mark DeSantos and they did so convincingly. So, I mean, Sam, to kind of preface all this discussion, I'll just, I'll throw out a name and we'll go from there. Vanny Sartini. The magic continues for the interim head coach. Yeah, he he seems to have the the magic touch, and I mean, I, I think that point about Houston was you know without wanting to talk about Houston too much because it in terms of viewability it was a match to forget. But you know, finding it the difference between finding ways to grind out results versus you know under Mark DeSantos always seeming to to find a way to you know to lose a point, drop a point here, drop a point there. With Vandy, it feels like they've been able to to pick up points, even maybe when they weren't entirely deserved, and that's that's huge. That's often the difference between getting into the playoffs, missing out in the playoffs, and then yeah, you you were certainly on top of it uh, in terms of I had more confidence in in San Jose. They certainly did not impress uh, on the weekend, especially defensively. But uh, yeah, Houston, just that environment, the the travel, uh, it's all that stuff that you you hate talking about, but it does play a factor. <laughs> and but well, so where I want to give a ton of credit to Vanny Sartini though, and I tweeted this out on the eighty six forever account, was that you know in a busy, essentially it's not a triple match week, but three matches within the span of of eight days or whatever it is. Under Mark DeSantos, that's a team that would have that would struggle, that would have made excuses, that would have, you know, been on the receiving end of the result, or at least on the receiving end sort of of the the momentum and the emotion of the match. And, you know, against San Jose, the Whitecaps essentially just mugged San Jose. Like San Jose was not ready for that match. They never got settled in. And the Whitecaps just completely took control. And it was very strange to have the the opposite feeling of a feeling I've had so often over the last couple of years is uh we, you know, the Whitecaps just weren't prepared for that match. They weren't ready to go. And that 
the Whitecaps caught San Jose on one of those nights, and I think a lot of that credit has to go to to coaching the way the guys are prepared, the the morale in the locker room. It's you know it makes it it makes a huge difference, and whatever Vanny's been able to do, it it seems to be working. Well, I just will we'll put it out there: three games, like you mentioned, in a span of eight days, to go with one of them away in midweek at Houston, which to be honest, I think they got the worst midweek game possible other than say like an Orlando or something ridiculous like that to go into those three games and to pick up seven points out of nine to not concede a single goal across those three games. That for me is the most impressive. Well, what more can you meeting. ask for really other than it's, nine points? That's it. Other than nine points. And it's an away game in MLS where, you, you know, you don't, it was, it was hard to ask them to go to Houston and it was interesting. So I'll throw some interesting uh, remarks around, for example, last week at training, I chatted with Ryan Gold and I asked him, I was like, what was it like going in Houston? Cause I was more curious. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, he, he told me after he was like, wow. Like, he's like, I stepped off the plane. It was wow. Even he's like, I, I stood up to warm up and I was already sweating. Like, cause he was on the bench that game. And that just kind of gives you an idea of someone like Ryan Gold. He's never played in conditions like that for him. A trip like that, you you know, you don't deal with that over in, in, in Scotland or Portugal, uh, you know, or, or especially the fact that you're here in Vancouver, it's 18 degrees. If anything, it's right now perfect footy weather, uh, you know, to for, for players. And then you have to travel to 28 degrees humidity where, again, it was like a sauna, as we, we said last week. That's just not talked about enough about how hard it is. And you don't want to make the excuses. But the fact is... The Whitecaps, they didn't make any excuses. The, the, the nice thing is they're obviously mentioning how hard it was, but despite the travel and the, and the, the every reason to, to be tired, they went out, got the point, they left. It was business done with a sort of efficiency we just hadn't seen in years. And it really shows the attitude that Vanny Sartini has instilled in these guys. And it was the same thing against San Jose. Your third game in eight days could have been easy to mail it in. You're at home. Maybe you start slow and you you rescue a point or maybe you get a late winner and you're happy. No, Whitecaps came out gas pedal gas. You know, they, they just completely pedal to the metal ran San Jose into the ground. It was, you know, they were just, it was, I was watching the game and I was writing my report and usually uh, by, you know, in games you can feel it's a bit of a balanced game or one, you know, the white cap starts slow. No, it just felt like every chance was like, Oh, that's another white caps chance. Another white caps chance. Oh, it's a San Jose half chance. Oh, it's another good white caps chance. And it just felt like the flow was tilted in, in, in the white caps favor. You look at the XG plot. It was just like the, the white caps line was just straight up into the moon. And then San Jose was just, you know, slowly crawling uh, along. I think the, the final XG count ended up being something like 1.9 or two to like 0.3. And for me, those parts are the most impressive of, of Vandy Sartini's uh, time as an interim head coach. It's, if I'm going to talk about his time as an interim head coach, I'd sum it up with a few things. I think the style of play has been the number one for me. The fact that they're just some of the passing sequences, the off the ball movement, the defensive patterns, a lot of intricate stuff that's just being executed at a high level that wasn't seen under Mark DeSantos, unfortunately. Be, be the confidence of the players i haven't seen heck even the guys who are sort of on the outside of the roster say like your ryan raposos your patrick metcalfs say a guy like leo wusu your your russell tyberts everyone's confident right now i don't think there's a, a guy in there even bruno gaspar is, is starting to look like a, a a decent right back after a few nightmarish games 
So it's B, the confidence of the players, and then C, yes, just the execution of that thanks to the, those two things. And for me, that's the most impressive thing about this whole stint. Yeah, I mean, shout out to shout out to Bruno. It's nice to see him finally have sort of a, you know, at least a decent appearance in a white cap shirt because it's been a it's been a tough road for him to get involved and to, you know, get a sort of quality play under his belt. So I was super happy about that. But uh, I mean, we we have to we have to talk about it. We got to talk about the Brian White hat trick. Wow. Um, yeah, Cava's Cava's terrified somewhere, you know, in a corner watching the match. Uh, it's <laughs> I think it was it was so appropriate that we brought up the the Lucas Cavallini discussion when we did three or four weeks ago because it's really come to fruition, you know, seeing what a a competent a, a good striker can do with service can do with a team around him, putting him in good positions, and also you know Brian White he's got the the football IQ he's got some of the off ball movement that's necessary to be in those spaces and then you know you get on the end of some chances and he we were talking earlier on about you know how he's kind of converted on the xg he's been provided and this one he he went a little above and beyond and that's the kind of the kind of performance you get when you know a system's well suited suited to sort of deliver the ball to you in dangerous areas so can't give him enough credit for for what he's been able to do in a white cap shirt i think it's it's exactly what they brought him in for it's it's managed to work i think you can you can obviously go into questions of you know are there other guys out there that might have been capable of doing the same thing absolutely but that doesn't take anything away from what brian white's been able to do and uh since you got the the predictions right for these last two matches i will shout myself out i started brian white in yeah, mls that's, fantasy that's this week um, so yeah managed to in, in the little uh 49th parallel cup we've got going I, I managed to have the highest team score of anyone in the league the this past week thanks to b-dub so uh shout out to you brian i'm coming around on brian white that's uh <laughs> You know, that, that's what I'll say for, for, for him right now. I think I always, if you've heard us talk about Brian White since this trade, we were never not fans of him as players, say. We weren't, you know, we weren't. The discussion was more about the asset why? management and the, the whole concept behind bringing him in. It had nothing to do with the player as, you know, just as and, an individual, right? And, and I'll even say now, if we're going to return to that discussion, it's still a discussion worth having. Imagine yeah. if this was David Egbo or Theo Bear on this heater. All of a sudden, you at least there's, you know, you could be, oh, you sell these these guys to Europe for a lot of money. You know, at least there's that. So the fact that it's a guy like Brian White where he's on this heater, this is great. What what does that mean long term? What that you you might be able to get a million of jam for him I mean, if you trade him if instead you, of five hundred. If you slap a U.S. men's national team label on him, you you never know that value might increase That's tenfold. <laughs> That's true, but at his age, you know, 25, 26, it's just it's great to see us. I'll, I'll say I want to give Brian White praise. I'll just say that that since we've talked in, it was always like, why did you bring Brian White in? But if Brian White is, in fact, not replacing Theo Bear and David Egbo, but are replacing Lucas Cavallini... All that sudden, I can get behind. That makes a lot of sense. And I think he's showing why. I think... It, I just... I mean, what can we say about, about Brian White? He just does his job. I, that's why I've really come around uh, on him is in a white cap shirt. It's just how consistent he is as a striker. I don't think... You know, there are games where he just gets no service. 
And yes, sometimes his touch can be questionable on his best of days, but he just consistently makes good runs. He holds up the ball. He presses hard. There are a lot of strikers in the world who are much more talented than Brian White who struggle at those basic fundamentals. And it's just nice to have a striker like that because as good as it is to have a Gustavo Boas striker who who does a lot of, you know, he'll drop deep and score 30-yard worldies. As long as you get your striker service, as long as he does the dirty things, you don't need a guy like a Gustavo Bo to be doing all this, you know, spe- you know, speculative long shots and all the things of the like, which are nice and they look great when they go in, but you don't need that. And it's been nice to, I think Brian White arguably almost makes more sense with a Ryan Gold right now, just because he he's, he's not, you know, he, what the thing is with Brian White that impresses me most is that he just doesn't, he almost doesn't like being a hero. He does it like reluctantly, like he'll score a goal. Some guys score a goal. It's head loss. I mean, it'll just, you know, shirts off, run in celebration. This guy scores a massive goal and he almost looks shocked. He doesn't celebrate. He's like, Oh, I scored like guys like, don't celebrate with me. I don't, I don't know what, what's happening. And he, he just seems so humble about it. And you'll, you'll ask him. He, he was obviously, you, you talked to him post game, he scores a hat trick. He's obviously going to be made available in the media. And you talked to him, and he just seems so, you know, just non bothered by it. He's like, Yeah, we scored, but we won. I, you know, he's like, And yes, that's the cliche that players will see. But you, you look at him, you can almost, you can tell he's not sitting there thinking, like, Oh, yeah, I scored a hat trick. I'm the man. He's just like, Hey, we won. I did my job. I'm getting paid. I'm happy. No, you know, he's a, he's a really selfless uh, guy. And for, for me, that's just the, been the nicest part about him. He fits so well in that system because he has to play such a selfless role and he's doing it to the, the best of his ability. And uh, I think if you're Lucas Cavallini, you have to be taking notes. Cavallini, we'll give him credit. One thing he always does is he works hard. Uh, sometimes, he, yes, he can get a bit in his own head and make frustrating slide tackles and he'll stop running when, when thing, he, he thinks things aren't going his way. That happens. He's a striker. He's he scored a lot of goals in his career. That that happens. But if you're Cavallini, you have to take notes from Brian White because if you can get Cavallini with that same mindset as Brian White, you're static. Because is my you know as, as good as Brian White's been, Lucas Cavallini's talent much the more talented player. He's got more physical tools than Brian White. He's a much more intrigue. He's a six million dollar player for a reason. But if he's gonna play, you know, if he's gonna have the attitude of a you know a player of a lesser one. And that's not to say his attitude's been bad, but it's just saying if he could find a way to embrace Brian White's attitude, then you'd be in a great position. Cause that's for me, the, the most impressive thing about White is how he really is a player that isn't too high and isn't too low. And I'll, I'll, I'll give credit to a guy like Mark DeSantos. He is a very Mark DeSantos player. Cause Mark DeSantos always talks about, Oh, not being too high, not being too low. I think Brian White might be the perfect example of it, even though it's ironic that White really started scoring once DeSantos left the club. Yeah, it's funny how those things happen, right? And I think that the issue with Cava sometimes is, you know, you just need someone to, to go in and do the job and take advantage of the opportunities that are there to be had. And because of Cava's temperament, because of just the way he is as a player, if he gets frustrated, if he's if he's not getting involved in the match, sometimes he doesn't make those runs, or he's not where he needs to be. And it just feels like Brian White. It's it's so so selfless. It's so just kind of the reaction's the same no matter what phase of the match you're in. No matter you know Brian White could be goalless in his last ten matches. He could be on the run he's on currently, and 
it's a guy that's going to act and play the same way regardless. And I think, yeah, when you have Ryan Gold on your team and you're, you're going to eventually, sooner or later, get some quality service into the box, that guy who's just Johnny on the spot, match in, match out, without, you know, without the slide tackles, without the, the theatrics, is, is maybe what this team needs ultimately. Yeah, I think it's just right now they're they're thriving on that that consistency Brian White is is bringing uh, up top, and I think if it's if you know it's not broke, don't fix it. But the one thing I'll say about Vanny Sartini, we've talked about him. Right now, every I don't think there's a guy in the lineup for Whitecaps or in the squad that isn't a bad run of form. I think Vanny Sartini's found a way. You just look at a guy like Leonard Wusu, for example. Like he he finally is looking like the player we were talking about him being able to be in, 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 in games, you know, how before and Mark DeSantis, he'd be too cautious playing the safe pass. I just look at his pass on the first goal of, uh, that Brian White scored against San Jose. Wus who won the ball back, drove through a defender, lost it, tackled it, played a beautiful progressive pass that kicked off the two and one. Would Leonard Wusu have done that six months ago? Probably not. So I just think, uh, Right now, with the form that guys are in, the nice thing is Vanny Sartini is finding a way to get the most out of guys right now. So if you if you trust uh, him, uh, or if you trust a guy to get the most out of Lucas Cavallini, I think it might be him because as much as as nice as this run has been, it is intriguing to imagine what a fully informed fit Cavallini could add to this lineup as a super sub, as a starter, whatever his role ends up being, and having two guys like White and Cavallini. Not necessarily together, but playing off each other. Maybe one starts one game, one comes off the bench the other. But if Sartini can figure out that, all of a sudden you're, you're set. Because you look at the back three, you're confident. I mean, this guy played Michael Baldissimo at center back against Houston, somehow kept a clean sheet. He's played Jer- Jake Nowinski there three games in a row. He's kept a clean sheet. He, 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 clearly he's figured something out defensively, no matter who he plays there. In the midfield, he's play, he's been playing a double pivot of Leonard Owusu and Russell Tiber, which if he's told a Whitecaps fan that six months ago, they, they'd probably fall over in surprise and they've been playing well. He's figured out the midfield. So if he can continue to figure out the striking options he has and getting the most out of it, I think you're in a good position. Yeah, you make a good point about, you know, Cav has not really had a, a proper run yet, you know, a run uninjured under Vanny Sartini. And that's certainly, we don't want to, you know, call things off too soon because there's definitely the possibility that he's able to get in under Vanny or under whoever the next head coach is and and maybe things look a little bit different but you know speaking getting the most out of players I think we gotta do a little bit of an ode again to Andy Rose and Jake Nerwinski specifically I mean because flow at this point it, it just match in match out it's been really solid performances but uh Jake Nerwinski's transition to a back three in the way Andy's kind of, you know, reestablished himself after shaking off a bit of rust. Uh, it's been noteworthy for sure. And I think just, again, a testament to what you said, which is, you know, it feels like every player within the Whitecaps squad right now is is relatively in form and, and getting a lot out of uh, whatever role they've been given. Yeah, I mean, credit to Andy Rose for me. I've been most impressed with his bounce back after that Colorado game. Uh, it's been nice to see, uh, again, the fact Vanny Sartini, the miracle he's playing with his center backs again. The fact they went to Houston with Andy Rose, Michael Baldissimo, and Jake Drewinsky as his back three and somehow etched out a clean sheet. But that's credit to Rose, how solid he's been as of late. Just you can tell that whatever Vanny's told him in terms of, okay, just keep it simple, 
Try to avoid the long balls when you can. Just try to make short passes. Mark guys. He just he's, he's got instructions in his head right now that are working. And the, the nice thing is with, with Rose is he's very coachable. I think a lot of people have said that about him. I think that's the reason why he's been able to convert rel- relatively well to center back uh, without much of a, you know, without too much growing pains uh, or too many growing pains, at least compared to some players who might've made a similar adjustment. It's been nice to see him, uh, you know, really step up as of late and ditto with Jake Nowinski as well. I mean, putting him at left center back is, it was just a move that made zero sense. And yet it makes so much sense now seeing how well it's worked, how Nowinski can make the short passes and dribble out of possession. And he's also big enough to handle the, the physicality of strikers, but also he's fast enough to, to handle speedy guys who try to attack him in space. It's been a stroke of genius trying him in a, an outside back three. And it really makes you wonder who else could uh, maybe his untapped center back potential and then the squad. But uh, those two examples are, are a great example of, of what Vanny Sartini is, is doing, but uh, maybe to comp- kind of complete our player chatter. Cause I know there's one guy we haven't touched upon and I think we need to, after hinting him early. What the heck has happened to Russell Tybert in the last few weeks? It it's a very good question. He he's you know he's impossible to to get rid of, right? Every every time you think he's getting phased out of the squad, back he comes, and uh, I think yeah, he just when we talked about this, I guess maybe it was the last show, maybe it was show before. Whenever Tybert's in a position where he can he can do a little bit of everything, he can be involved defensively, he can can get into the attack you know he can make some short passes he can he can whip in some crosses the the more varied his role is is that sort of utility player in midfield the more success he seems to have and i think that also you know russell tybert's strength is not progression so or certainly not you know carrying the ball into the box or not making those progressive passes into the box so having a player in ryan gold that opens up those spaces, takes that pressure off. And heck, we were able to see, I mean, I saw a couple of Russell Tybert darting runs into or around the edge of the box. I, I can't remember the last time I saw that. And I think that's in large part due to the spaces someone like Ryan Gold has been able to to open up. All of a sudden, you know, everything's less stagnant. It's more free-flowing. There's there's more movement. There's more confusion defensively for a team like San Jose. And, you know, Russell Tybert certainly take... He can take advantage of those opportunities. He's just maybe not going to create them himself. And I think ultimately that's been the biggest difference. Yeah, for me, it's just how confident he looks on the ball right now. Uh, obviously, uh, the, 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 the inside joke, the, 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 the thing you're always going to get a Russell Tybert, oh, he passes it backwards all the time. You know, uh, is it, <laughs> yes, he passes the ball backwards sometimes, but he has passes in his locker. He's always had that. I mean, it's just for him, it always hasn't been easy to bring it out. For me, it's just impressive how he, he's just so confident in playing the ball forward right now. And we're seeing just some sort of ball progression that we haven't seen out of him. And it's coming in many ways. He's passing the ball forward over the top. He's making slip passes to players in front of him. He's dribbling the ball through players in the midfield. And it's just that confidence to make those sort of actions for me is the most impressive part because before it was never a lack of say talent with Russell Tabber is always, he just, maybe it was, maybe it was how he's coached or maybe it was just naturally how he was adapting to games around him. Okay. He'll play the ball safe whenever possible, but I don't know if Vanny Sartini just said, Hey, Russell, 
like just just go for it man just like you know like something along that line because that's honestly probably something that Vanny would say whatever he said it works and and you can't complain because having a guy Russell Tiber like Russell Tiber essentially to be honest what how he's playing is the best way to describe it is he's filling in the Kyle Alexander role a lot better than anyone would have expected him to be able to it's exciting because you know, we, we lamented how the Whitecaps had no player like Kyle Alexander, who was just so, when he was healthy, was just so fit to cover all this ground and, and always be moving and always be progressing. The only guy who could really play that role in terms of the fitness is Russell Tiber. We know how, how fit he is. And the fact that he's been able to play that role is, has been a huge reason why we're not talking as much about Kyle Alexandre and his injury as we should, you know, as we should or could, because he's a big absence. And I, I think imagining him in a Vanny Sartini system is mouthwatering, feeding Ryan Gold and running around him. And I'm excited to see that next year, at least Alexandre and Gold, who knows who the coach will be, of course. But the fact that Russell Tybert's been able to fill his shoes, I think is for me the biggest surprise, but also the biggest revelation. And because of that, again, people hate to hear it. If you look around the Canadian pool, just, you know, just do if you, if you, if you are, who would you, who would you put ahead of Russell Tubber in the midfield pool? Ralph Priesto's injured. Noble Akello's barely played. Michael Baldissimo, again, his, Russell Tybert's ahead of him at the Whitecaps. You go to Europe, Scott Arfield has 55 minutes in, fifth, I think, 15 or 14 games for Rangers this year. He's barely been getting a cup of coffee every other, you know, every other game, and if that. There's not many other guys ahead of the pool of Russell Tyburn. And if you're Canada, you have to consider him if he keeps playing like this in November. Because again, that's not saying you bring Russell Tyburn and he's going to be your 180 minute man ahead of Mark Anthony Kane. No, no, you don't be ridiculous. But based on his form, you look down the bench, you have five subs. Have, bringing a guy like a Russell Tyburn into a 70th minute of a game to, to do whatever the heck he's been doing under Vanny Sartini isn't the worst option if you're Canada. So Overall, just have to tip my cap to Russell Tybrick. We've certainly had our, our, our strong views of him at times on the show, but it's always you have to give guys credit when they, they step up, and he's been stepping up in a, in a big way as of late. I guess just off the, off the rusty discussion, uh, before we take a quick look at Seattle here, just where does that leave Yanni Bukel and Michael Baldissimo? Because two guys who certainly Bikel early on in the year played a big role and, and Baldy at times as that, you know, dropping between the center backs and pinging passes has had a role to play. Are, are those guys just on the outside looking in in this Sartini system for, you know, for lack of something better to say? Or, or do you think, I, I wonder whether Baldissimo can really fit in in this style that that Vanny's setting up, but I do think Bakel might have a role. But I'm I'm curious for your thoughts, Alex. Good thing is with Vanny Sartini, you know he'll find a way to make them work. The fact it, it might be a ridiculous wrinkle you've never thought of. You know, it might be a, might be Bakel at at the ten or Bakel. I don't even know where. I, I'm center str- back. Yeah, I'm struggling <laughs> to think of it, but uh, it, yeah, he'll find a way to surprise you for sure. And the one thing is that it's been very nice is. I think Vanny has realized how deep this team is and he's been rotating. When's the last time we've seen not just rotation. We've seen the thing is with Mark DeSantis, you'd see the same squad for three games and then you'd see the game where you'd see Ryan Raposo and Theo Bear up front with no midfield behind them. Spe- and, uh, speaking of matches in Seattle, which is we're about to get to, that was a prime example where players he, got thrown to the wolves, right? Whereas Vanny Sartini is actually rotating coherently. He, you know, he, 
he managed to and one thing we don't talk about in that that seven out of nine point week he managed to get a rest in for ryan gold in there and not lose any ground he managed to you know rest lucas cavallini before he picked up that injury that's also a good thing he rotated his center backs mostly out of necessity but he still rotated his center backs he completely rolled over his midfield played uh Bikel, you know in one game and played a wusu rolled over his fullbacks and he didn't have a problem and i think that for me is the most exciting part that he's finally gotten to the the caps to a point where they're able to rotate their squad and still get quality get 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 you know not drop off and for me i think if if there's a guy you have confidence that Bikel and, and, and is going to come back in and Baldissimo. I think it's under Sartini because he's just, he's found a way to rotate through and, 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 and not lose much of a, you know, quality and not kill guys confidence. And that's so key. All right. Well, looking forward to the weekend. I mean, this is, this is the rescheduled match and, you know, you've obviously got the, the absence of Cropo, the absence of Cavallini, although that one's maybe not as important as it might've felt a month ago, but looking at Seattle specifically, uh, you know, obviously a, a fantastic start to the year. They cooled off a bit, but, um, you know, and, and their form was kind of mixed up until recently. But then the last three matches, I mean, they played two of the top, the two of the other top teams in the West in, in Sporting Kansas City and Colorado, picked up all three points in both of those matches. 2-1 win over SKC, 3-0 win over the Rapids, and then sandwich in the middle of that a 3-1 victory over the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, Seattle's found form again. Now, that being said, they are missing a more substantial grouping of players than the Whitecaps heading into this one. No Ariaga at the back. Christian Roldan, Alex Roldan, Raul Rui Diaz, and Nuhu, all five of those guys away on international duty. So that certainly hurts the Sounders a little bit more, but nonetheless, you're going into Seattle in a tough environment against a team that's been really good lately. Um, this is one I, you know, as much as I circled on the calendar, this past stretch of three matches is a real opportunity for the Caps. This is probably one where you're going to drop points and you're you're probably just hoping to survive it, but Alex, I'm curious for your thoughts on how the Whitecaps match up. Do they, do they stand a chance of getting a point here? Yes, I think so. This is it's bold. Plenty of confidence. I like it. They drew Colorado away. That was a tough one. Um, because the thing is with Colorado, you had the altitude, and it was one your first away game under Vanny Sartini. You drew that one away. You somehow got a point out of Houston in the midweek. This is a very this is almost like a home game in terms of travel, first of all. You know, it's Seattle, plus it's not a midweek. You get the full week to prepare for this, and you travel to Seattle for a Saturday game. So just first of all, you, you you got that going for you. And secondly, the Whitecaps aren't hit as hard by the international break. Obviously, you lose Crepo, which I think is going to be a big blow. But you still, Thomas Hassel, I mean, Vanny Sartini. You got, you got off pretty light. I mean, you, you have two very good backups or substitutes for those two positions you're losing out on. I think they're, they've made it out about as well as any team could reasonably hope to. Well, it's really, they only lost three players. You lost Javane Brown, who you replaced with Bruno Gaspar. Okay, that's fine. You get you can get away with that. You have Luke, Luke, Lucas Cavallini. Well, he hasn't been playing anyway, so he, nothing changes there. And you lose Crepo, which Hassal has been playing good. So first of all, you got pretty much your same team. You got the Brian White-Ryan Gold combo. You got all of your midfielders. Uh, you got your back three. Uh, maybe, heck, uh, we'll find out later today, maybe, or this week. 
maybe have Eric Godoy healthy, knock on wood. Sounds like Christian Gutierrez is very close to returning, so you might have him. Suffice to say, sorry, you have a good squad and you don't have to travel as much. You look at Seattle, obviously they're in good form. You're not going to say, oh, you're going to go down and beat Seattle 3-0. But, you know, first of all, the Whitecaps did draw there earlier this year, 2-2, in a lot worse form than they are now. So you have that going for you. Plus, Seattle is going to, you know, they're going to be missing a few key names. I mean, Christian Roldan, I think, has scored three goals in his last four games or something. There's three games. He's with the U.S., obviously, good form. Raul Ridiaz, great form as well. He's with Peru. He always finds a way to score against the Whitecaps. Nico Ladero obviously hasn't been, I don't know if he's he's back playing again or even then he hasn't necessarily been his usual self he's yet. Been, he's been in and out. He's seen some minutes here and there, but he, it still doesn't look 100%. So you, he's in and out the squad. Obviously, Freddie Montero is probably going to find a way to score. I feel like I, I was going to bring it up if you weren't. Uh, you got to watch out for Freddie, man. You got to watch out for Freddie and Jao Paulo. Like the form that guy is in is just absurd. But otherwise, you you are you know the fact that Roldan and Rui Diaz aren't there, and I think Seattle's missing three other guys, uh, including I think. Uh, would probably be Ariaga, I'd assume, is missing at the back. I think so again, Nuhu, just to confirm, Nuhu, Ariaga, the Roldans, and Rui Diaz are the five absences for Seattle. So if you're the Whitecaps, you're you 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 got off a lot easier. I think this is a game that you could sneak the the the, the win out of, at least amongst recent games against Seattle. And if there's a guy you feel confident in, in game planning for that game, it's Vanny Sartini. I think a year ago, this is a game where you again you pray for a draw. But I think with all that in mind, I, I think there's there's reason for the Whitecaps to believe heading into this one. I, re- I really like the positivity. I'm not entirely sure it's going to pan out that way because it's Seattle in Seattle, and I just I, I have bad feelings about it. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't categorize Will Bruin as a as a Caps killer necessarily, but as a <laughs> as a guy who who finds a way to get it done. And and yeah, Freddie Montero, you got to watch out for and. I think the coaching too, you know, uh, Schmetzer's a, a top manager in MLS and, and will certainly be prepared more so for what Vanny has in store than maybe some other managers have been. So I don't know if I'm feeling 100% confident, but, you know, the Whitecaps have a have a fighting chance in this one, at least as, as much as they've had uh, at any time going into Seattle. So I'm, I'm excited for this one, and, uh, yeah, we'll see if Brian White can keep the scoring streak alive. Oh, that's it. I'm not going to say Whitecaps are going to go to Seattle. I just feel this is a time where you're not sitting there. Again, the famed word. There's no existential dread about watching this game. I feel it feels... Dare dare I say a little bit of excitement. I mean, it's a big match. It's a big opportunity for an upset. And, you know, you go in without a lot to lose, really. Like, you're you're not crushed. This isn't a playoff race rival. So you're not losing points. It's a, it's a good opportunity to go in and make some noise, right? And at least right now, you know, they're going to go make a game of it. Before it really felt like under Mark DeSantis, they were going to try to kill the game, get a 1-1, get a nil-nil. You at least feel like they're going to go make a game of it. And I think it's just, it's going to be exciting. It's just more like the 2014, 2015 days where Caps consistently went into Cascadia and would get results. And you kind of feel like that's with the form they're in, that, that mood is returning uh, to the club. And I think if they could get a result here, I think it would really show that would what a statement that would be. Cause you play SKC at home next uh, based on how the white caps have been playing at home. You, yes, it's SKC, but you'd back them. The fact that they beat San Jose, a bogey team of theirs, three nil at home, you start to believe a little more about them at home. Okay. But 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll also preface, they need to start winning on the road. I think that, what is it, the stat? I haven't kept up in the style of a while, but off the top of my head, I think they have one win in their last like 20 away games. Like, well, and, and I'll add to that, the win was at Austin. Austin. So I don't even know if that counts as a, as a full away victory, really. So, yeah. So I'll preface to say, if they want the, the mood to return, they need to win away. But I'm just saying, if they were to win away, you got SKC at home. If you somehow get four to six points out of those two games, wow, what a, what a position that would put you in. Because I think of your last games, you play San Jose, um, I think you play LAFC, uh, you play Mini, you play some big six-pointers. If you could head in those six-pointers uh, with a bit of wind in your sails, beating a top team, you, you'd like their chances, your chances. So that's all I'll say about that game. Seattle. I'm a lot more optimistic about that than I would be three, four months ago. And hopefully they can uh, back it up with a good performance. All right. Well, before we sign off here, uh, let's, let's have some predictions. You're, you're on a bit of a, a hot streak after successfully kind of, you know, explaining out the back end of last week, but uh, you know, you've talked about Vancouver having a chance, but well, how do you see this one going down realistically, where if you got to put a score line on it, I'll have to predict a draw. I can't be ridiculous and sit here like, yep, three no win. Brian White hat trick again. But uh, if that if 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 their Brian White scores another hat trick, I mean, I don't know what I'd do if Brian White scored another hat trick. So I'll say, I think this is a one one draw. I think just an international break, a forgotten Saturday, sandwiched between all the Canada U.S. games. It's gonna kind of be one of those. Seattle's disappointed they drew points at, they dropped points at home white caps are static they picked up points away you know it doesn't really do much for either team I think a 1-1 where maybe white continues his run and uh, Seattle etches out a 1-1 Montero probably scores because it's Freddie Montero and uh, that's how we, we wrote about it yeah so I, I see the match very similarly except for this is Seattle and I'm just I'm not quite there yet so I think the match would be very tight. You know, maybe Freddie Montero goal inside the last 15 minutes to to put Seattle over the top two to one. Uh, I sincerely hope that's not the way it ends up. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be an exciting match and one the Whitecaps will very much be in. So looking forward to that. Yeah, well, on that note, we'll, we'll see how all of that goes and we'll pretty much that wraps up this edition of the third sub we went a little longer than we wanted to that's never a bad thing so that usually means we got a lot to talk about so um always a pleasure to to chat i mean we'll probably be back with some sort of uh you know definitely canada chatter depending on how this window is going um obviously i'll be following along very closely so there'll be a lot from at least me on on that standpoint definitely sam will be uh i know over it'll be hard over there in the uk i mean to be fair, he does have the advantage of getting to watch a lot of pretty good qualifiers at a good time. So uh, that's the trade-off. Uh, so we'll, we'll be following along with that. Obviously, the white caps as well sandwich in there on a Saturday. I mean, it's, it's almost ironic in a way. You got Thanksgiving weekend. I would love to give thanks to whoever scheduled Canada versus Mexico, Canada versus Jamaica, white caps, Seattle, all in one week. I'm like, come on, you can't get much better than that. And other than that, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll share it here first since the third sub always gets it first. BTS is going to the Panama game in Toronto. We've gotten into the game. We've secured another last-minute cheap flight. So the, 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 the BTS on tour will continue. So we'll have some reaction on the Panama game from Toronto itself. But uh, 
it's going to be exciting to follow all that along uh, in over the coming days, really not weeks. It feels wild to say that there's all those games all within a span of a week, but I give thanks to that. Yeah, certainly a lot to be to be thankful for upcoming here and hopefully results to be thankful for as well. Uh, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at 86 forever.com for our podcast, third sub pod on Twitter, the third sub on Instagram. Uh, yeah. Stay tuned for, for Alex and, and all the BTS coverage live on location for some Canada stuff, which is, which is awesome to see. And um, also obviously, you know, stuff around the Whitecaps matches as well. So uh, thanks for listening everyone. And yeah, I'll kick it over to Alex before we sign off. Uh, you can find me at, on Twitter at Alex Congress. I got BTS Fan City, BTSFanCity.com. Also, if you want Canada content, destroyandprogress.substack.com, my newsletter. Uh, going to be trying to, 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 to throw some extra stuff in. I have a, a piece coming out. By the time this pod is out, maybe it will be out. Either way, there's going to be a bonus pre- and post-game reaction on there. It's going to be a lot, of, a lot of stuff coming up, but it's a pleasure as always, and we'll see you guys again soon for episode 114 of the third sub presented by macy sports but until then take care enjoy all of this <laughs> wonderful footy available to you there's also cpl there's you know even right now there's the women's champions like there's so much so enjoy it all while you can and uh, we'll catch you again soon